Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Bold, Beautiful, Borderline podcast. It's your host, host singular today, Sarah. Um, Lori's plane got delayed, so she's not at this specific conversation, um, but she is here with us in spirit and heart and as an ally because it's Pride Month. This episode is all about queerness, and actually, we have our first return guest. Leslie, you're the only um, person we've had return to the podcast as a guest. Um, I think we had our episode with you almost probably a year ago or maybe a little bit over. Just about. That sounds right. I am so flattered that you guys are giving me more than one episode. I can't even, <laughs> can't oh even say thank you. <laughs> well, if this podcast goes on forever, which I hope it will, then I'm sure there will be so many more, but, um, I wanted Leslie to come back for our pride episode because Leslie um, identifies as queer. What are your pronouns? Uh, so <laughs> I, I, um, pronouns are so sort of politically charged nowadays. Um, and I inhabit a lot of identities that are, are sort of like, uh, I don't know, sort of in between. So uh, I would say she, they, but, you know, nobody sort of in my life refers to me as they. Um, so typically she, her. Yeah. Um, I definitely like feel that so hard. Um, and it's interesting because it's like the way in which we ask about pronouns is very politicized, you know, like it's not what are your preferred pronouns? It's what are your pro- pronouns? Because like I have a a, um, a preference for she, they as a person who lives in a body that is consistent with that. But for people who aren't, it's not a preference. It's this is this is who I am. These are my pronouns, regardless of what I look like. Exactly. The importance of pronouns isn't just sharing them blanket across the board. It pronouns mean very different things to very different people, you know, depending on how you present and a lot of other things. Agreed. Totally. Yeah. So, um, awesome. Okay. So you're back because it's pride month. It's pride. Um, pride week kicked off last week in Portland. The parade is this weekend. Obviously, a lot of people have a lot of feelings about that, given COVID and the recent just bullshit um, everywhere, especially in Idaho. Um, For those of you who maybe haven't heard, there was like a, I don't know the exact group, but um, anti-gay group of men who were like found with weapons and a U-Haul that were like planning to show up at the Coeur d'Alene Pride. Thank God they were all caught and arrested. Who knows what would have happened. But after Pulse and all of the community shootings, really, I think like there's a lot of fear around going to Pride events now and it's fucking devastating. I totally agree. Um, Pride is obviously like, um, still important, still relevant. Um, uh, at the same time, it's also being sort of positioned as this very political again thing. And that sort of, um, I don't know, it's sort of, it's weird as, so I've been out <clears throat> for uh, maybe like a decade or so, maybe like 10 years. Um, I definitely, have been 
queer all my life. <laughs> um, uh, but um, as I've sort of watched and participated in Pride over the years, um, it, it was sort of, uh, you know, when I first came out uh, around like to the 2010s in there, um, it was like very much a party and it was very much celebratory. And I mean, this was in the Bay Area and in San Francisco for me. So definitely that's like a pretty, you know, safe place to be able to enjoy your pride. Um, then to sort of experiencing pride, I uh, moved back down to my hometown or, or a town close to my hometown <laughs> um, about five years ago. And so doing pride now down here, it's... Um, it's it's very different because it's still a, a sort of a, a party and a parade, but it's there's much smaller representation. And so it that sort of drives home how important Pride still is when it's a smaller gathering of people, you know, um, you know, when it's not just like this big corporate like sort of parade, you know, walking down, you know, Market Street in San Francisco, which is also really fun and has its place. Um so, so yeah, so pride has really evolved and I see sort of now this, this, uh, upswing in like the, the political relevance of pride as a riot is really coming back into the fore as far as I've sort of, you know, the discourse that I've seen on it, um, which I think is like, I think it's sad that that's necessary, but I think it's also really cool that that's happening. <laughs> that's my take on pride. Totally. No, I love that you brought that up because, um, it, it, it has very much been maybe law, you know, like that, um, that inherent, um, reason for an energy of pride being a riot started by a black trans woman maybe, um, was lost through the years of it just being able to be a kind of celebration. I don't know. I can't speak for everyone in their interpretation of it, but, um, you know, as a, cause I also came out in 2000, um, 11 and I was 17 and my coming out story is, um, very messy and not empowering. And so I don't share it. People ask me why I'm not sharing my story and it's not a story I want shared, but I remember when I was in that kind of sphere of coming out and my first pride was so exciting because it was so fun and it wasn't taught to me, certainly not in public school. And even in my queer circles, then that pride started the way that it did because it had to, you know, so totally. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that you, I'm glad that you um, explained your sort of coming out. Um, my, I touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, I, I sort of like fell out of the closet. I sort of like tumbled slowly piece by piece out of the closet. <laughs> um, um, definitely as like a young kid, I had, I don't know if this is necessarily like a quintessential sort of lesbian or gay or queer experience, but I definitely had the experience of like going to sleepovers at friends' houses and sort of being like, hmm, this is, I like being around all of these women in these intimate scenarios. Hmm. <laughs> you know, but, um, but I didn't fully come out until I was around 17 or 18 is when I think I told my mom. Um, and, um, you know, I also had the benefit of going to UC Berkeley. That's why I was living up in the Bay area. Um, and, 
if I hadn't had that experience of going away to college and, and meeting people who were out and seeing, you know, and that's another thing that Pride is, is really cool is, is, is just having a public forum to see people who are out. <laughs> um, there's like a super cheesy but empowering quote about like, if you can see her, you can be her. If you can see him, you can be him. Um, and that's like, you know, that's definitely the power of representational politics. So for me, um, I really got sort of funneled into a very sort of hetero, mono, monogamous sort of uh, framework. Um, and so it wasn't until I like went to college and, and saw other people that I realized I was like, oh, no, 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 that that fits. I, I like that better. <laughs> um, so so, yeah, so my coming out story is is a little messy, too. And I think that honestly, that is a massive privilege of mine. You know, I am. Uh, white, uh, you know, Euro-American, um, you know, my family, um, I won't say they were middle class, but um, definitely uh, like working class. Um, uh, but, um, you know, it just like, uh, it was something that I could, I had enough resources that I could sort of have my queer identity without really needing to involve my family until I was really ready to. Yeah, I love that you said that that um, that it being kind of like tumbling and messy is a rep- representation of your privilege. I think that is um, really beautiful. Something that most of us, as yeah, middle working class, insured white, um, heteronormative passing like cis people experience. And, um, it's funny because like thinking back to my coming out, um, there, what I've never, I didn't come out. There was not a coming out. There was a fucking nails in my fucking boarded up closet, just fucking staying there. And then my feet being dragged the fuck out. And, um, Rightfully so, because I was being, I was in a relationship that was highly inappropriate, lots of grooming, not legal, but right. Um, But I do feel like I was kind of um, robbed of the normal experience of coming out. So like, I'm sure you know this having um, a degree in psych, but like, there's this kind of typical process that they talk about being like you experience, um, the first step is like noticing or learning about attraction to, you know, a, a, a body that you quote unquote, shouldn't be attracted to, right? Like not the opposite sex or whatever. And then you kind of like start to step two is to like explore it for, um, just like knowledge on the internet, reading, whatever kind of, and then step three is to like kind of, yeah. (laughs) Step three is to just kind of like explore it personally out in the community and then explore coming out to people that you um, are safe with after you've come out to yourself and then eventually coming out to people you love. Right. So that's like a long fucking process. It starts very young. I heard you say it started young for you. So just, I have to know, because I remember mine, but do you remember the very first time in your life where you were like, ooh, that body, I like that? 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, um, it's it's I think that the fact that that process includes coming out to yourself as a step is really, really important because I can remember being. Okay, do you guys remember this little shout out to my millennials? Do you remember the Girls Gone Wild commercials that used to come on really, really late shut at night? On cable? Up, <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut up. Which is up. horrible because they're oh super, God. super like illegal in some ways and like it, it was totally exploitative. But <laughs> that was definitely the first time that I think I saw like um, a sexually mature naked woman. Um, and yeah, no, definitely um, that was like, I was. Like, I can't stop watching this, and I don't know why, because I know I should stop watching it. Definitely. Yeah. And so that would have been back in like the early, early 2000s, you know? Um, so what, like under 10? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh God. Yeah. 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 And even, yeah. you know, ironically, before that, in my own imagination, because I, um, I'm a child abuse survivor, just, you know, I guess trigger warning as well. But um, so I developed hypersexuality as a response to my trauma, even though the nature of my trauma wasn't sexual per se. Um, I definitely um, had some pretty questionable interactions with some of the other kids that I um, uh, interacted with in my throughout my childhood, but I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like an adult or, or anything or somebody that I trusted or, or you know, um, so I'm, I'm grateful in, in that respect. Um, but um, I do remember my fantasies, my early fantasies were mostly of trans women. Um, that was definitely the first sort of orientation I can remember, like, having a fantasy about. Um, and that I, you know, obviously I'd very, uh, this is uh, like you were saying under 10. So this is probably like maybe like six or so. Um, that was uh very, very difficult um, for my young self to reconcile, but I was going through such intense pain and uh, masturbation was really the one of the few things that actually helped me feel better. It was like definitely one of my first sort of, I think it was one of the first self-soothing mechanisms that I discovered. And so it took on this really sort of weighty importance in my psychosexual development thereafter. Um, <laughs> Did I answer the question? I got a little sidetracked. Did, Sorry, I'm no, like you thinking about naked question. women. <laughs> you, yeah, I get sidetracked thinking about that too. Um, no, you totally answered the question. And and what's really interesting to me is um, like, I remember being attracted to a boy on the playground when I was like preschool or kindergarten, like not attracted in the sexual sense, but noticing, right? Like I remember, like I remember his name. You gravitated toward him. I gravitated towards him. I don't remember anyone else from preschool. And then early grade school, summer camp. I, so I must've been second grade, third grade. Um, I gravitated towards what um, they presented as then was a, a very mask, masculine, you know, woman. That's what I understood that to be then. And then I ran into them maybe like 15 years later, like this, you know, start of my adulthood. And I, they didn't remember me, but I was like, oh my God, that's my camp counselor. Definitely a trans man. I remember being like, all I wanted to do was have them be my camp leader. I wanted to be in you their write group. A story about that. <laughs> Oh my God. I wanted to be in their group. I wanted to be in their canoe. Like I was like, this is, you know, so 
I also remember attraction to all different types of people really young. And that's, what's so funny about people that are like, you know, like being queer is a choice. It's like, listen, (laughs) I didn't even understand queerness or how this person experienced their body at that age. Right. So if I couldn't understand, how do you choose? Because choosing is an informed, you have to make an informed choice to choose something. I had no information. I was just like, my body, your body. (laughs) Now kiss. (laughs) No, Uh, one of my friends, he's a a stand-up comedian um, and he has a bit that I really love in his act, but he talks about how like, listen, man, we don't choose the things that we like, right? Like you can't, you know, you can't really hold it against like, that's just sort of something that happens, you know? And I mean, on the one hand, like, if people want to choose to be gay, if people are capable of making that choice, by all means, choose it, you know, but what I have found is that the majority of the queer folks that I speak with, it's not, it was something that was there before, you know, uh, choice really came into the equation. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember, it's so funny that you have that story about, uh, you know, preschool or kindergarten or whatnot. I remember in fourth grade sitting down on the first day of class and scanning the room and being like, okay, one of these guys has to be my boyfriend. (laughs) And I picked him and I still remember his name and everything. (laughs) And please tell me every once in a while, you just like Instagram stalk these people. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. So I live close to my hometown, honestly. So I like, I have plenty of close calls, honestly. Uh, my hometown is, uh, itty bitty. I think the official population is like 8,000 people or something like that. So it's, it's small. It's Ojai, Ojai, California. So people have probably heard of it. It's, um, yeah, that is small. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I didn't have, um, So a lot of people who are queer and grow up in small towns, you know, it it can be very difficult because it's so insular. And especially if you're living in a larger culture that is very conservative, um, you know, that can make coming out almost impossible. Um, Ojai is this very hippy dippy, new agey sort of um, there's a lot of money there. So there is a lot of sort of conservatism as well. Um, And then there's, you know, basically a lot of poor sort of white and Mexican folks that make up the rest of the the population. Um, So again, that's one reason why um, I have, as a bisexual person, I think that this happens to us a lot. Like I have a lot of those quintessential sort of queer experiences, but it's a little tweaked. It's slightly different. Um, And I... I really, um, I appreciate folks, specifically folks in the queer community who connect with the things that we have in common more than the things that we don't. And that's got to be true of any community you belong to. Honestly, you know, you don't want to have people who are just pointing out how different you are constantly, you know, but, but as, as a bisexual person, oftentimes people, you know, I've, that I've talked to, like, we can feel that way. Um, I have had conflicting feelings about pride as a bisexual person because 
you know, um, like when I first sort of um, started participating in it, it was this big celebration and this big happy thing. And I was living up in the Bay Area and I was dating a lot of different people with a lot of different bodies. And, you know, um, I really felt like I inhabited my queer identity up there. Now that I've moved back down to Southern California, um, you know, I still went to um, like the first bisexual pride in LA, um, the official one, you know, and, and I mean, it was great and I had so much fun, but it, I mean, it was in an auditorium, you know, and it wasn't even all the way full, <laughs> um, which is that's literally know, so embarrassing. So wait a minute. So we're going to take your pride, not allow it to be on the streets, probably not advertise it because how the fuck is an event in L.A. not going to be full and shove you all into an auditorium? You probably have to pay to get into it. it we had to walk through like the path through like the, the, like a uh, park where they were setting up for the main event before, like afterward or whatever. Yeah. To like get in. There. I <laughs> literally like, cannot lovely bisexual people full, uh, you know, once we got there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's not the same. <laughs> no. So this, this begs the, the kind of choice conversation to come back for me, because listen, as a queer person, like people ask me how I identify all the time. I identify as queer. I was married to a woman. All of my adult relationships have been with, um, cis women, or, um, I was in a relationship when I was 18 to 21 or something with a, a person who now identifies as a trans man and has transitioned and all of these things. I am having my first adult relationship with a cisgender straight man. Shit is fucking weird. Let me tell you, but (laughs) I, I have experienced the demonization of my quote unquote bisexuality, quote unquote pansexuality. I hate both of those words because of how demonized they have been. So I use queer that feels the most empowering to me, but the demonization of that sexuality is so wild. Y'all, I wouldn't fucking choose this if my life depended on it. I would be either gay or straight because my experience dating mask women, uh, hetero, uh, or not, not hetero, but cis gender gay women is that they're always afraid that you're going to leave them for a man. My experience dating, dating around, definitely not with my current male partner, who's fucking fabulous and like almost queer himself. He's just not, I know he's the best, but my experience in dating other straight men, just like dating, hooking up, whatever, is they're always like, well, you should get a girlfriend to come in and let's play together. Or like, I don't want you to go to sleepovers with your friends that are girls because obviously you're going to fuck around, you know? And it's like, listen, if I'm going to cheat on you, I'm going to cheat on you because I'm impulsive as fuck and (laughs) I need to have sex or I need to self-soothe, or I need to validate myself, I'm not going to cheat on you because I'm queer. That has nothing to do with it. That's a stereotype. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me about, you use the label bisexual. Does that feel empowering to you? What is your experience with kind of um, loving both bodies, all bodies, and how that's been perceived? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So bisexual for me is um, a political reclamation. Bisexual is another one of those terms that was used to stigmatize. Um, So back in the day, women, bisexual women and and lesbian women were not, there wasn't, they didn't differentiate really. Um, uh, And so that's one reason why it it takes me off a little bit when folks say that uh, content involving bisexual women can't be sapphic or that bisexual women can't be sapphic because that's absurd. Um, so, so bisexual was a term that was sort of used to, to section off that group of people from, you know, just that, that blanket queer. And so for me, it is definitely, um, you know, because like queer used to be a slur, you know, um, it, that's sort of my own sort of internal logic for why I use bisexual. I totally get, um, I hate that bisexual and pansexual are sort of pitted against each other. Um, they're basically all mostly similar terms born out of different sociopolitical times. Um, totally. Right. And so, you know, um, I I sometimes definitely do describe myself as gay or queer, um, you know, uh, just because it's good to have sort of a few different terms, you know, but um, definitely when I talk about like my orientation, it's it's bisexual. Yeah. And uh, for for whatever reason, that just sits best with me. Yeah, totally. And that that doesn't for me. And whenever people call me bisexual, I'm like, listen, that ain't the, that ain't the one. And whenever they're like, oh, you're pi- pansexual. Some, some, um, some wonderful lesbian the other day at a, uh, get together referred to me as pansexual. And I was like, no, 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 nope. Unless I give you the label I want you to use with me. Don't give me a label. I, do, and that, I do, and do that is here. Yeah. Default is always queer because just like we don't use um, Asperger's anymore, sexuality is on a spectrum, right? Like sexuality is on a spectrum. We all fall somewhere on there. Right wing, straight, conservative men living in a lot of fear want to say that they're negative, you know, 10,000 on the straight side and that they could never imagine Listen, I've lo- I've met a lot of straight men who tell me that their first sexual experiences were with their friends um, in yeah. circles when they were teenagers. Like, so <laughs> spectrum and queer just is the label to recognize that there is a spectrum. But have you felt that demonization within your dating experiences or within your clinical experience? Because I've had professors tell me that the only client that they will turn away, not work with is a young bisexual borderline woman. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I had mentioned earlier, uh, about how, um, so, uh, probably a lot of followers may relate to this. I started to develop my secondary sexual characteristics very early. I think I got my period when I was like 11 or 12. Um, and you know, uh, I, I was sort of, um, I must've been the first girl in my sort of grade to, to have done so because it, it just became like a, like, you know, I became the class slut basically without ever having had sex before. Um, and, and so 
that when people perceive you that way, um, it really, really funnels you into um, like hetero sort of mononormativity. Um, and so I don't think that, um, I don't think that uh, I had, um, sorry, I'm like trying to, well, had like a moment. Uh, okay. I got it back. I'm back. <laughs> um, I think that I did definitely experience. Um, I remember uh, after I had graduated from college, I was working at a coffee shop um, and I was a, a supervisor. And one of my baristas, I just had the a most absolute massive crush on her. Um, and uh, obviously that's a no, no. Um, uh, and she, um, she eventually, um, <laughs> rather than ending up her and I dating um, because we we had gone to pride together and we had fooled around a little bit and you know we like both acknowledged that we sort of had those feelings for each other in the end she went for our other co-worker who had been sort of acknowledged herself as straight up until that point um oh I am getting l word vibes <laughs> yeah 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 it was the drama I you know am I the drama <laughs> Um, so yeah, so, so, and that, I mean, she was very clear, um, uh, the woman that I, you know, had the crush on, she was very clear, like, I don't really date bisexual women. And so the, the logic in her head that she would not date somebody who already knew they were bisexual, but would date a straight woman who just didn't know she was gay. That one really threw me for a loop. That took me a while. And that is one reason why I don't really hit on women. I mean, I literally have to be like out with my friends and a huge group of people and they all have to be like, Leslie, she is giving you eyes. Go say hi. Like, you know, like they have to like, it's like a movie. Like they have to like, you know, cause talking to pretty girls is scary. <laughs> but it is. Oh my God. I, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to hit on a lesbian who is then going to say like, oh, sorry, I only date gay women. And I, I don't want to date on a, a straight woman who says like, sorry, I don't date women at all. <laughs> yeah. I, as a frequent gym goer, do not like being in the locker room. I am so afraid of someone thinking that I'm hitting on them, whether it's in public or not in public. Like whether it's like in public or on the internet or like with my friendships or fucking in the locker room, I'm like head down. I don't look anywhere because I don't ever want anyone to feel like I'm attracted to them or hitting on them when I'm not um, because it's fucking scary. It's scary. Like it's, it's totally anxiety inducing. It can be fearful for many reasons, safety, but then yeah, that entire kind of thing that you just talked about. And it reminded me, I've had multiple people tell me not only would they not date me because I've been with men, but they would not have sex with me because I've had sex with men. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, like, I've, I've I'm sorry. That. Like what? Like you, like my, is my pussy tarnished? Permanently like, tainted by the taint of a man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> like I'm not like I don't want to have sex with you. I don't even find you attractive anymore. Like yeah, that right. is wild that people feel that insecure about not being chosen, which and, is really and, what it is. 
That I was, yeah, I was just about to say that is really what it boils down to. And okay, so this will veer a little bit into talking about polyamory um, and whether or not polyamory falls under the queer umbrella. So awesome. I can't wait. Also, <laughs> we're going to have to record. That's going to be a part two because this has already been such a good dialogue. I know. I try to stay on topic so hard, but oh, you're good. Wrong. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, so I think that um, around the time that I really came out and, and started sort of openly living as like queer or bisexual, um, I also met my first polyamorous partner. Um, and so I, I got introduced to those two worlds, um, at least living sort of openly that way at, at the same time. Um, and the, the skills that I have honed choosing and I guess I'm saying choosing, yeah, polyamory, though I don't know how much of a choice it is because monogamy has literally gone down in flames every single time I've tried it. Um, it, it practicing polyamory helped me to embrace my queer identity much more. Um, and I think especially for somebody who is um, not gay or not straight, um, so you you have sort of a, a variety of, of people that you're attracted to, um, polyamory and non-monogamy I mean, it's not required, but it's it's one of the very few relationship structures that will allow you to fully live out your sexuality, you know? Um, totally. Otherwise, you're kind of being forced to choose, um, which is okay, you know? Like, I, um, I'm also somebody who's monopoly. I've been in monogamous relationships and polyamorous relationships, um, and, and I'm okay with, you know, if I'm monogamous with one person, if they're still polyamorous with with partners that they've had, you know, that's, I don't mind being one monogamous person dating a polyamorous person and vice versa. Um, and, um, so, you know, if you're not trying to find a partner that you're staying with for life, if you're not looking for somebody to be on the relationship escalator with, then going through these periods where you're dating one person, you know, and then you're maybe dating around in between or whatnot, that, that may be, you know, fulfilling. Um, but for somebody who maybe wants to have a nesting partner or an anchor partner, um, if you want to maintain that relationship for that length of time and you have these needs, like you, you got to acknowledge them somehow, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta let that out. And so I think that that's a unique intersection, um, where most of the, the polyamorous people that I talk to are also, um, a queer or bisexual, pansexual, um, you know, uh, so the point I'm getting at is that, um, straight folks can absolutely practice uh, polyamory or non-monogamy. Um, but I do tend to find that there is this sort of queering effect that occurs once people do start to practice polyamory. That's the, that's the line. <laughs> totally. Because it is a different way of thinking about getting needs met. And for everybody listening next week, the episode that follows this most likely is going to be a full episode on a follow-up on ENM ethical non-monogamy with Leslie, just because we're already getting, we're going to split this recording in two, um, leave y'all hanging. But where I'm going with this is ADHD. Let's circle back, Sarah. Um, it's a way of thinking about meeting needs, right? And so once you start to open yourself to the idea of my needs are allowed to be met, you can say, well, what kind of like 
things have I thought about that I never thought I would let myself experience, you know? And then that's when the person who's historically straight is like, well, maybe like there's a little, maybe I could like veer closer to the center. I will say in, yeah, let me just, you know, I will say in my experience, um, uh, I'm neither here to confirm nor deny whether I practice ethical non-monogamy or not, but I was married to a woman where we were, the expectation was very much monogamy and it ended because the expectation was monogamy, but she wasn't having sex with me. You can't do that to people, man. Like you you cannot do that to people. (laughs) And that entire relationship four years, five years, I've really never had a craving to be with a man from the relationship perspective. I very much could go the rest of my life and not date a man. And I would prefer it if I'm being honest, (laughs) but I'm not trying to go the rest of my life without having sex with a man. I'm sorry. I said it. Hey, that's, you know what? Like, that's it's your life. Like, what are you going to do with your one brief and, you know, like fleeting, you know, life? And like, I'm not about to definitely not at my my big age of 31 years old. I'm not about to uh, continue to compromise on my needs. Um, I think absolutely not. Your comment about it being about fulfilling needs is is so spot on, you know, and and about, you know, you can't get into a monogamous relationship with somebody, you know, where it's like, hey, man, you're the only person who can fulfill this need. You are the only one who can do this for me, you know, except for myself. But, you know, variety is nice. <laughs> and also, like, so- sometimes you don't have, like, yeah, the angle or the ability to role play with yourself or, you know, yeah, no, no, just not like, the same. <laughs> there are some things you physically just cannot do to yourself. So for anyone listening who's in a monogamous relationship, keep that in mind that when you practice monogamy, it's not, um, it's not just about this is the only person I want to love, you know, it's also about this is the only person I am choosing to experience joy and pleasure with. So there has and to be what we decided a is compromises made a to pause on the that listener questions. Y'all are going to have to tune in for that next week and pleasure because this has already been almost a 40 minute like episode with Leslie. So kind of next week but, you will hear from Leslie um, and I as we okay, answer some listener no more questions. Talk because we're and then I will post that, that episode <laughs> about I have ethical some, non-monogamy um, as well. But we're going to have another guest with Borderline. Can't wait to have more of these pride specific conversations with y'all thanks for listening hi friends thank you so much for listening to this episode of the bold beautiful borderline podcast Lori and i are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey and we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you and we'll see you next time.